it's Alicia Todd here with Scott French at Love Street Studios. You're listening to From Little Things, a podcast made to keep us connected to some of our most loved and most talented Gold Coast musicians. This is our fourth episode in the mini-series, and possibly the last for the time being. We're glad you're here, because today we have a special guest with the voice of an angel. Without further ado, I present to you Casey Patrick. Brick by brick, tile by tile, we built a wall which stretched for miles. Each brick was laid with silent rage and martyred with resentment. Sometimes I'd feel you drowning there upon your side with extra care. Ensuring all the seals were fixed All holes surely cemented A wall that started with one word One slight misunderstanding As it grew, each brick laid Continued the compounding Until it stretched from here to there One horizon to nowhere A wall it stretched, it wove and weaved Beyond all understanding Each brick a word, each tile a heart The motto when it felt unheard each of us upon our sides we worked upon the wall and the bricks once more to manage they began to grow in size until that effort to construct our wall it made us tired and sometimes we would double back and find a brick we'd laid and carve a pattern in it with such purpose to dismay as a wall grew long and wide we'd start upon the height we'd build it up to hide the sun we'd work both day and night Until that only good to find was resting in the shade Of the wall of words and spite we had so deftly made Each brick a word, each tile a heart The mortar when we'd felt unheard And each of us upon our sides We worked upon the wall One day a little crack appeared A shaft of sunlight did reveal The primer and the glimmer And the hope of new contentment And you from your end and I from mine We met at last on either side 
We laid our trials upon the ground, exhausted and repentant. And I placed my hands upon the bricks, and I felt you do the same. And then we pushed with all our might, and our wall it gave way. A wall that stretched from here to there. Dust it crumbled fine and fair, and now it's only ruins of those ramparts that remain. Each brick a word, each tile a heart, the mortar when we'd felt unheard. Now each of us upon our sides. We work upon, we'll work upon, we work upon our world. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord. <laughs> Casey Patrick, oh my everybody. God. Oh, thank that you for joining incredible. us. You're welcome. You, you can you. most definitely sit down. <laughs> Great. <laughs> My heart is like palpitating. That was amazing. Wow, there's something so healing about just listening to voice, sitting in a chair, closing your eyes and just hearing just words and, oh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Best way to start. Great. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that though, because I I do love listening. Just, you know, if you're at a gig and there's the band and everything, and and if the singer just stands back and sings, it just goes something, it goes to another core part of us, I think. That, yeah, it just, yeah, so thank you. I'm glad (laughs) that it translates in in this space. We're a bit speechless. We don't really know how to. Follow that with. There's a theme, isn't it? It's <laughs> happening more and more often. <laughs> um, okay, I'd love to get to know you as as musical Casey. Where did you start? How how did it Where begin? Did I start? Um, I think uh, I, uh, Mum was an opera singer, so I guess I've had. I, um, so I started a long time ago, but you know, I, I think when you when you have the gift of growing up with music in the house, albeit as as I grow older, I'm I'm aware of how limited kind of what we listened to as kids were and, um, you know, either classical music or Barbara Streisand and Cleo Lane and, or opera pretty much. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of it was a fair... Oh, and Dad loved Simon and Garfunkel, so... so nice. But fairly, fairly not, not broader, though, my parents interest I'm sure that they were very interested in it but um but their mum I guess was singing and studying opera so when I was just a baby so my earliest memories are really of of her going to her performances as about a four-year-old 
Mm. And I remember one where she actually died on stage and I, I started screaming in the audience and Dad sort of dragged me out of the dress rehearsal and Mum had to come out halfway through and just go, Mum's OK, she didn't get murdered and stabbed on stage. I think for my parents it was a bit of a, a realisation. It's like, oh, OK, we don't take four-year-olds to dramatic opera ever again. But, um, it's too real. Yeah, too real. Um, so I do have a very clear memory of that and I've got a very I... clear memories of being a child um, in the Basil Jones Theatre, which was on the former, where the River Stage is now in Brisbane, where the former conservatorium used to be. I have, I have very mm. early memories of being a kid in that space and going down all of the rehearsal rooms and being in the theatre and then joining mum, you know, whenever they needed kids, you sort of pretty much all of the the opera crew, if you had a child, you were cast as something. So, yeah. So, <laughs> Great. Yeah. What was your first role? I was a mouse in yes. Benjamin Britten's <laughs> opera and I was Flood and I had a little grey costume <laughs> that was made. But you get this incredible, incredible view of, of the inner workings and the backstage and get to sort of go, you know, the, the backstage areas. It's so such an exciting place to be, yep. particularly as a child, even as an adult, it's an exciting place to be. But it's that, yeah, that's, yeah. It's another world. It's another world, which is yeah. why I love doing musical theatre with kids now, because it's just like, guys, there's this incredible world out there, you know. You can do and be yeah, whatever yeah, you want. Exactly. But, yeah, everyone's involved, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, you just... I guess you'd end up doing a lot of singing at school and things like that, choirs, things like that. Um, yeah. And then um, I did a, mainly did those productions, I guess, if mum was sort of would tag me along to them as a child. But then high school, you end up doing, you know, your own thing and finding your way into the musical or into the music department somehow. And then, yeah, didn't really think I'd do much with music and until I met Aaron and then went, oh, that's okay. Let's try some jazz standards out of a jazz standard real book. And it was the right time to do that in Brisbane. And, oh, let's write some original. Okay, fine. Yeah. And then it just 15 years later, you sort yeah. of find yourself on a bit of a journey going, oh, shit, that took us right around the world and back. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. So it all, yeah. Oh, tell us more. Okay. Stringman Sassy. Stringman Sassy. We're there. So um, what was Stringman Sassy? Stringman Sassy started off as Sassy and the Stringman playing. Our first gig was a Kedron Cafe on Gympie Road in Brisbane playing out of, um, I, rec- I think I we had Aaron's father's stereo speakers um, that we were playing out of, as you do, playing out of jazz real books. And um, from just from doing that, I guess, you know, Aaron and I met through a mutual friend and both he handed me a Tuck and Patty album pretty soon after we had met. And for those of anybody that doesn't know who Tuck and Patty are, they're this extraordinary duo from the United States who... I've been married probably for 40 years now and playing together for that long as well and just extraordinary. He's this master musician who just does everything on the guitar. Um, 
curly hair, white as a sheet. He's like this kind of bird, animated bird the whole time. And she is this gorgeous, voluptuous African-American woman who just has a voice like velvet. And when you see them live, they're like the dark angel and the white angel and they just fill a room with love and everyone is there with them. And um, he handed me one of their albums, Tears of Joy, and said, this is what I want to play. And I went, oh, my God, that's amazing. So, okay. So that's what we did. We sort of tried as best we could, learning what we could to... I guess, be influenced by that Mm -hmm. and the music that they were creating, um, albeit the brilliance of what that was, and then found our way, I guess, just doing lots of gigs, treading the boards in Brisbane for years, Um, you know, doing five gigs a week when, you know, all the cafes and things like that, Um, and getting a lucky break to go overseas and... Then pretty much starting on that touring circuit after after spending that time in Germany when we had the chance to go over for Expo over there. So, yeah. Mm. So that's great. We'd love to know more about World Expo too because <laughs> I don't think a lot of people know about World Expos, the you, World Expo or what happens it's, there. Well, and, it's a funny thing, Yuko, because I guess when it came through Brisbane in 88, which was um, – like I was 13 when it came through Brisbane and it, and it finally 13-year-olds had somewhere to go that their parents would let them out at night for and we'd all go and hang out at the fun park. But then on the flip side, you've got all of these extraordinary pavilions and the world on show. Um, so in 2000, and every four years, it's a bit like an Olympic cycle. Every four years, they take it to another, like an, another country, another city, um, it's a gigantic international trade fair, I guess, showcasing the countries for want of a better description. And the year that we we had the chance to go over to the World Expo in Hanover in Germany. So we were employed by the guy who ran the bar um, and he sort of said, look, I've got, I'm a provador and I've got the contract to do the bar. I think we're going to need music. There is a stage there, but so do you want to come over and see how it'll go? Give me a proposal for a month and, you know, after a month we were like, you need more musicians in here, we can't hold all <laughs> this because it, it, the Australian bar, just where it was all positioned became one of the party bars on site and was open till 4am <laughs> and it was just insane. Sounds like, sounds like Aussies. It was insane, <laughs> yes. So, so suffice to say we've kind of, Aaron and I as a jazz duo, jazz folk duo from Australia just... Uh, it was amazing because the Germans, the, oh God, they've got an incredible way of listening to music and they really stand there and go, right, play for us. Well, we want you to play for us. Show us what you've got. And um, they've got um, such an extraordinary sort of instrumental tradition um, <clears throat> that when you presenting something, I think, and for us presenting something a little bit different and obviously too because Tuck and Patty kind of would sort of tour extensively all through that part of the world. As soon as you say that you're real fans of Tuck and Patty, most of the people in the audience have seen Tuck and Patty and wow. met them live and done things like this, okay, play us a Tuck and Patty song, you know, yeah. so, or what does Australia sound like? So we would sort of craft and try and in our own way craft some sounds of Australia, thus the bird calls started yes. happening and, and do arrangements of 
really weirding out their arrangements of Down Under and play Tuck and Patty songs in the middle and then, you know, um, yeah, every, yeah, you pretty much, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how we muddled our way through it, but there was a lot of Australians living in two tiny houses sort of mm-hmm. fighting over sunlight, but yeah, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Um, what a great experience. So you're representing like Australian culture almost, do you think? Is that a good job of... Maybe. I'm not sure if the bar itself was. I think it was kind of catered by one of the big, you know, Foster-esque breweries. So no craft beers in those days. And I, I think they were serving kangaroo sausages and that was sort of... So it was like complete dare I say, completely lowbrow until I'm sure that there was far more exclusive stuff upstairs in the pavilions in with all of the DFAT people. But uh, the bar itself was pretty rowdy. But I don't know, It was I guess it was interesting being there with what we did. Another friend of ours, um, River Patang, came over and um, joined us. He played saxophone with us. And we also asked a, another extraordinary musician, John Malcolm, who has been a stalwart of the Brisbane sort of bar community playing gigs for decades. We were all watching him when we were 17 and 18 in bars just going to Malcolm and we sort of said, come over here because just what he does, he sort of mixes flamenco in with, uh, you know, Australian. He's quite an extraordinary Mm. musician and artist. So he came there and then as a part of that, then all of the, I guess, the Australian cultural music program ended up coming through um, the pavilion and they would play on the stage or up the front and, and then we'd sort of fill in, fill in the spaces and then we'd, when they weren't there we'd sort of be playing every sort of every night and with the odd night off and so just basically, yeah, yeah the same people coming over and over again and then when are you coming back and, yeah, they all helped us organise a tour pretty much from there. So that's just when we started, I guess, touring there and then touring back here and, yeah, it's an interesting thing what happens. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like a puzzle. It's <clears throat> the, that's the, the idea of from little things, I guess. Yeah, exactly. You know, when an opportunity like that yeah. just presents itself, you just, oh, I don't know, you just, okay, all right, you yeah, have no idea you. what to expect. <laughs> we could have been back home in... Five months, and as it was, I don't think I came home. I came home in between, but then we spent the next twelve months in Germany. After that, after the ex, after Expo, kind of following, following the gigs and organising tours and staying on people's couches, and and after you've spent that way along from your constituency, then at home, and those regular gigs that people have been sort of coming to at home after you've been away for twelve months, eighteen months. Then everybody goes, oh, okay, what have you got now? So yeah, it, was, it kind of changes your dynamic and your engagement yeah. with an Australian audience as well and they listen to you differently back here. Yep. There's certainly an element of when when you see an artist has been touring the world and you're watching them from afar and, yeah, like they're homecoming, you're like, okay, got to go and see this now, you know. Yeah, it, I, I think it... Yeah, it's it's exciting too, but I think um, I think doing it changes you as a performer as well. It kind of makes you um, going anywhere really, playing yeah. to new audiences, particularly to audiences 
um, either culturally differently or who have different ears. I'm sure every culture listens to mm. music differently so and therefore they engage and they interact. And, you know, I hate to generalise but Germany is extraordinary to be a live touring musician in. They are just, you know, wow. passionate about, mm. you know, live music and live musicians and stuff. How did the Australian audiences feel when you when you got home? <laughs> well, when we, I was nice when we got home because we had some more original material, and I guess it's friends I, and family, I guess. As well. Yeah, to friends and family, it was um, like your friends and family are always your biggest supporters. I think you know Aaron's parents became my second, like they were my second family. So, um, but I think it kind of changed us and our confidence with who we were as well because it allowed us then to, I guess, step into the festival circuits and start applying for that. Um, and then we had some help, I guess, with from meeting people in Brisbane. So, like, Leander Souza became... Um, and she was bringing artists out to, <clears throat> out to the Australian Pavilion at that time. So I actually met her in Germany for the first time and she was based out of Brisbane. So started talking to Leanne when we got back and then she was helping us book some festivals and do some things like that as well. So it allowed us just to kind of step into that space then in Australia rather than going back to those residency gigs that we'd been doing before, which were great, but it was, uh, um, yeah, we kind of stepped into the independent touring yeah, thing and then got music. to do that. Yeah, original music and yeah, those festivals, the folk and the jazz festivals um, mm. and things. So, and then the concerts, I guess. So then you start to craft rather than just being, because Australians are so good at background music being great. <laughs> you know, the musicians being in the cook, great, there's a band, chat, chat, chat. Mm-hmm. They're so good at that. Um, but then to be able to, in a position to craft, to be able to control that space a little bit more as a musician because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think you have to control it as a musician. You have to put some sort of things in it if you want to try and create a beautiful room that creates a real listening and interactive space with your audience. I think as a musician you have to try and craft that a little bit as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. You can't just leave it up. And just have an expectation that everybody's going to listen to you because people aren't. So, mm. and you learn to get better at that. You learn. There's sort of a. That's where this expectation sort of comes from. Is like, well, we've got to make party music. We've got to make something that's going to be louder than the chat. And mm. if they're not going to listen to us, we're going to jump out there and force them to listen to us. But it's quite different when you're playing something that's supposed to be very intimate and and maybe very delicate music. You have to establish the space beforehand. You do. And sometimes too, if you're kind of throwing the big party music, people just will get louder and louder and louder, which is what you find. And it's Mm -hmm. actually when you pull it back and you actually understand as a musician that subtlety will get your audience to come into you versus this idea that you've got to kind of continue to, you know, hit them over the head with a proverbial sledgehammer. I don't, yeah, it's, it's, like that, what you were talking about earlier about sort of just hearing a voice. I remember a gig at um, Sound Lounge um, uh, when Passenger came through. Mm. 
yeah. years ago was there with three, so two Australian local regional, I can't remember who they were, on either side of him and him in the middle and big crowd. There was a huge crowd there, but his gift of harnessing that audience was just magical and it was electric. You could feel the energy go through that room and I was standing probably midway with about a third of the way in on the room and part of the way he got it was he just got rid of the instruments and just used his voice and you could you could feel feel the silence Mm. it was palpable all the way through the back and he in one said he managed to do that about five times Mm. and capture the room the bands couldn't at all everybody just talked over the top of it but he just had the same experience with passenger at blues fest ah a master of it. He just, it's masterful watching someone do that and to feel it. Yep. Like it's just, ex- oh, I just, yeah, I love it. I just, I still get goosebumps even oh, wow, thinking every time that there's, there's yeah. artists that do that. Um, I, like I saw Omara Portondo do that. At, we were talking about WOMAD earlier. And so she was there with the Buena Vista Social Club and here's this 84-year-old woman with the grand piano on the main stage with thousands of people in the park and just her and the piano and you could have heard a pin drop, like even mm. on the... Oh, and it was, it was electric, um, just masterful, just, yeah. yeah. I love it. I get so excited. Yeah. <laughs> 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 stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were mentioning before with the World Expos and, and bringing the Australian elements mm. into the performance that you were learning the bird calls. Learning the bird calls. Did you learn like specific bird calls or just general bird sounds? Well, I had, I was a funny way to come to it because I had Maggie's out the back when I was a kid so I used to talk to them my dad used to do kookaburra calls my dad was a mad keen bird watcher so I'd like he, that was our Sunday was going to the Boondle wetlands and going bird watching um but yeah I used to just I used to imitate the Maggie's out the back but that was when I was a little kid um and then I think with with Expo We'd done a gig just before we went to Germany with a, uh, a percussionist from Bermuda who was this guy who was playing around town. He was amazing. And um, he bought all these whistles and shakers and everything like that and so started making bird calls in one of these songs. Aaron was just improvising um, and doing something and so he'd, oh, I can bring this out, I can bring this out. So, oh, I can do that too. So we kind of started playing off each other just and it was For some function at the conservatorium, it was in the foyer of the conservatorium, which was weird because none of us were from the con or from con students or anything and we were all just completely freaked out of being in the space and we're like, why are we here? What are we doing? So instead we just messed with it and ended up doing bird calls in the foyer of the conservatorium. (laughs) It was just bizarre. But after that it was like, Oh, and then when people, when we got to Germany and they said, oh, what does Australia sound like? Oh, well, it kind of sounds like this. And so, and it just ended up working into the set somehow. Um, oh, show us, show us. <laughs> show you? It's pretty loud. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, God. Um, 
(laughs) That sort of stuff. That is just amazing. You know, the first time I actually ever knew of you, I didn't know uh, it was you doing it. I don't know if you remember doing this performance, but it was a dawn awakening um, on the Sunshine Coast. Yes, for Horizon Festival. Yeah, so it was, picture this, it was uh, like four o'clock in the morning or something. And everyone parked their cars on the road and walked down to the beach in Coolum Beach and it was still completely dark yeah. uh, and the the tide was in so there was a little, everyone was sitting on a sand bank and there was a river in between and then on the other side of the river somehow was this magical PA set up <laughs> that sounded amazing wow. outside and... And then this performance started. It was like a welcome to country and these beautiful bird calls and the sun is rising over the beach. <laughs> and I was just, I have really bad eyesight. So I was looking over and I was like, wow, that's a mate. That's a, that's a lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I remember telling Scott about it. And he told me it was you. He knew who you were. And then he actually explained it was Jim And then I he had explained. a good guess anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not many crazy chicks hands that you make calls at 4 a.m. Yeah. Um yeah. That was that was such an ex- that was such an extraordinary um, performance. That whole well, yeah, the whole um, just being a part of it actually and what it was in terms of the I think it was the closing ceremony actually for the Horizon for the Horizon Festival and just to sort of be a small part of all of that and then you know to work I guess to work with Andrew Vivas who's a Spanish guitarist done a bit of work with but then Louise King who's the cellist who was there and she's just she's just a, a master cello player so to actually have an opportunity we were all freezing like everybody it was freezing <laughs> but it was um, and I, I was aware, although I only saw it afterwards, with the images of what James Muller was doing at the mm, back of yes. us because he had he'd mapped the landscape behind us and projected all of this beautiful oh, wow. Indigenous artwork. And a lot of the story was, um, and particularly for the, um, was all about the black cockatoos. So they had crafted it all around the black cockatoos and sort of, I guess, very significant bird for that area and things as well. So, yeah, I saw some photos at the end, particularly with that that dawn coming up over the mm. over the ocean, and it was yeah, quite quite extraordinary and surreal to alone. be there. Yeah, <laughs> worth yeah. it. Four a.m. Four a.m. <laughs> And then we saw you all. We had no idea when, you know, until the sun came up. We couldn't actually even see if anybody had rocked up. And yeah, there was, true. there was, oh. there was over two thousand. There's a lot of people sitting there. over across the creek. It was extraordinary to what see. A beautiful thing. Yeah. Oh, and so that was when you told me about Stringman Sassy as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe they had quite an impact on your musical. Oh yeah, I, I used to love learning the Aaron's parts on guitar, and yeah, just obviously. I, I mean, I don't think they're available anywhere on the net, but just learning them by ear, and yeah, it was a. I have a day. great he learning. Did, he experience. did a songbook. I'll have to he get did? one for you. Yeah, I've got wow. them in my garage because I 
I would have. We were going to take him back down. Given that a red hot crack. Yeah, he'd done a lot. He'd actually (laughs) got around to notating a lot of those songs and God's arts, particularly the ones that he had he had written because he like. Um, had written a lot of them. I'd occasionally contributed lyrics or and worked with him on a lot of the arrangements, but a lot of the songs were, yeah, were his and mm-hmm. him exploring how to, obviously being Tuck inspired and exploring how to play mm. play the guitar in that way. Yeah, that's great. Shall we hear one? Yes. All right. Let's hear one. Shall we, shall we do that one? We can give yeah. it a go. Yes. <laughs> so what's this song called? This song is called Beautiful Day, Mm. which was, yeah, back from 2001, I believe. That's how long ago this one was released. (laughs) I was alive then, so it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's give this a go. Beyond a strange day 
Yeah. Well done. I would have been more prepared if I knew that was going to happen. Oh, yes, so. That's amazing. I haven't heard that song for so long, Scotty. Well done. <laughs> Particularly, I don't think I've ever heard anybody else ever play it, yeah, actually, apart yeah. from Aaron. <laughs> oh, beautiful. I gave it a go. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful day. Beautiful day. <laughs> high rotation, ABC, I think. Someone heard it in Broome. It was so funny. And high rotation at wedding ceremonies. <laughs> I oh, think the number we did. I think, um, I think we kind of, yeah, no, it, which is just beautiful. You know, it's, it's such, a, such a gift to be a part of, you know, part of people's special days, particularly your friends. So yeah. it's kind of nice to have. Nice to have sung that at, at at a few weddings for friends and things like that. But yeah, no, I don't know. It just um yeah, beautiful song. Aaron writes a beautiful song like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of beautiful music on those albums. That's for sure. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> mm. So collaborations, collaborations. Maybe you've something. Uh, Tell us about some collaborations with Lindsay Pollock. With Lindsay Pollock. Um, Yeah, so uh, Lindsay, genius, um, uh, had had the very great privilege to sort of spend some time just kind of singing with him in his studio, which has been amazing, just sort of jamming. So to get the opportunity to kind of do that... um, and then done a few gigs with him and Tunji. So I just, like, I love making stuff up. So when you get an opportunity to sort of work with someone like Lindsay who's so good at making stuff up and that he works in other groups and says, right, let's do a gig and let's improvise it, You're like, yes, that would be so much fun. So it's, you know, keeps you on your toes but it's um, very exciting and... Um, uh, a show that was lucky enough to do with him was um, a show that we did up at Woodford um, back in, I think it was 2013 now, maybe 2015, uh, called The Dream of Zed Cat Naboo, which was the precursor to the work he's doing with Lizzie O'Keefe at the moment with all the dangerous song work. So the Dreams of M. Zara and show that he's doing that sort of started off with Dream of Zed Cat Naboo and, mm. and that idea of... You know, Lindsay um, is such an incredible wind instrumentalist and creates instruments, as you know, um, but then has sampled all of these um, endangered and extinct species yeah. samples. So the dream of Zedcat Naboo was all that. It was all these near endangered or extinct species of creature from frogs to whales to whatever mammalian species and he'd programmed them all and got four himself on sort of his clarinet um like a midi his midi clarinet yeah, yeah thank you for that because I can never work out how to describe it <laughs> um and then three other sort of percussionists with gigantic bamboo poles which were all triggered as soon as they hit them they all triggered a different sound um and then he had four of us on the pond at Woodford floating on the pond, improvising mm-hmm. over the top, creating this. And it, it was the story of extinction, basically, the flood and 
extinction and said Katnabu was one of the wives of Noah's sons or something and had a dream of the Great Flood. But that story exists apparently in, in all traditions and in mm. all cultures around that time. So, yeah, so done some really, well, he's just, he's just brilliant, Lindsay. Yeah. So every time I've had the opportunity to work with him, I just love it. Um, and then last time I think it was the 40-hour jam, so getting up, getting a chance to actually sing them with Lizzie too in that space was amazing. Um, yeah, and there's a, I mean, a few people, a lot of different world music ensembles and, and things yeah. like that because that's what I, I love. I'm actually, you just, about. you just touched on the Woodford Folk Festival, yes. which you've done a lot of work with over yeah. the years, a lot of uh, the opening and closing ceremonies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, in recent years as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with the People's Orchestra, and um, yeah, that's been great because um, and and really amazing too because when you, um, I guess with Stringman Sassy, in those earlier years, we spent a lot of time at Woodford. Woodford, we performed at Woodford about seven, uh, seven years, I think, and um, then became a part of the fire event when they used to pull artists in from the different parts of the festival. But now it's really curated and there's a real collaboration between the fire event team um, and Alex Podger, who's the genius behind it, and and then also then the People's Orchestra and what they're doing musically. And in the last few years they've been writing the music to suit mm-hmm. um, the festival and really creating this this narrative in and around it too. And it's it's been amazing to revisit Woodford and to be a part of that community fabric making of it because a lot of the I guess the guys we used to tour with back 15 years ago were all a part of that so it's kind of that community and tribe and the malwebs of the world and Mm -hmm. things like that who are kind of you know some of my favorite people so it's like yay yeah I get to take my girls there and yeah it's good (laughs) it's interesting when you watch particularly the closing ceremony because you can't really see who's on stage. Yeah. So you don't really know who's who's playing what or who's making what sounds, but every now and then you can pick someone. Yeah, and you pick can Mal pick, you can pick Malweb, <laughs> definitely, yeah, the trombone man. Or if something's not going to plan and Nick's going, quick, play something, Mal's the one who jumps up uh, out yeah. of the orchestra and goes, right, top, top. Wow. <laughs> it's just, but they're just, In front you know. Of how many? But they're just 40,000 people or something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he just, uh, they're just all, but like Andrew Claremont, you know. Yes, yeah. Andrew Claremont. And then Rick Halstead. Rick Halstead has been um, a, a, just the most incredible kind of clarinetist saxophonist, but he opened up the Healer in Brisbane all those years ago, the blues venue in the Valley all those years ago, but was a part of the Hong Kong Jazz Club before he came out to Brisbane. And so kind of reconnecting with people like that who've now moved up wow. to Mullaney, who now work with Lindsay. And, mm-hmm. you know, it it's really beautiful to see these people every year and reconnect with them for that and then to be a really small little bit with you know, the fact that they invite anyone on site to be a part of this orchestra or this choir, anyone can be involved and it's community community music making, which is mm. so essential and brilliant. So, 
Yeah, I just, essential. We like that word these oh, days. It's, it's so essential. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We got to make music in community. This is run a run a community choir. Oh my god. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So everyone can do it. Yep. And it feels so good. Feels so good. So healing. Yep. Wow. So tell us about the forty-hour jam. You were mentioning you oh, know, last year's <laughs> 40-hour jam. So um, another one of these mad, crazy, genius musicians, Shenzo, Shenton Gregory, um, He this was his idea uh, and um, very tragically his mother passed from motor neurone disease about four years ago. So during sort of her... Um, hate to say decline or, or kind of towards the end of her life, he basically wanted to honour her and raise money for MND research and so proposed this idea to a bunch of Brisbane musicians about creating music for 40 hours straight mm. and he got through it and it was out of the motor neuron disease office, the first one. Since then it's been held on Magnetic Island for two years and the last one which was May of last year, there was 100 musicians from all over the country. I think he raised about $40,000 for motor neuron disease. So basically the 40 hours, there was um, a couple of four-hour slots where people actually went to bed. But the idea, the idea of, and it's a jam. So, uh, and Shenzo and I have had these conversations around about educating particularly kids how to jam we don't make a lot of community music or have those traditions where you can kind of slot in and bring an instrument and you can learn, you know, the patterns and then contribute in that community music making. And he, he to totally believes that all kids should learn how to jam as a premise of learning an instrument because then you can create music together yeah. without... It's not necessarily about the notes on the page or how good you are. It's actually about making music in community. So the jam is a jam, but it's this opportunity too for professional musicians to come into a space to jam and to come up with ideas because that's where the ideas come from and it's the mistakes, the ideas come from the mistakes you make and then it goes, oh, I like that, so let's mm -hmm. go from here. So, um, yeah. Magnetic Island, um, it's not going to be on Magnetic Island, it's going to be at Dust Temple. Hopefully you're like, well, yes, when we all re-emerge. <laughs> so the, the southern plan is Gold Coast. The southern Gold Coast, yes. So, um, yeah, we're going to hopefully find a new home for it at awesome. Dust Temple. And if we're still being isolated, we might have to sort of social media it and tag team venues up and down the coast, which is the plan. So there's a plan A and a plan B. So on that weekend of July 17 to 19, either it will go ahead as it's meant to be with 40 musicians making music for 40 hours. And there are th a lot of it's world music, so flamenco, gypsy jazz, things like that, um, bluegrass, ragas, like I yeah. think um, funk jams, things like that. I On Magnetic Island I went from jazz jams to... Latin jazz jams to flamenco jams to funk jams to mm. um, doing ragas with Vinod Prasanna. He, he sitting watching the moon rise, you know, and then we'd wow. wake up in the morning and start with yoga jams where there'd be other musicians sort of coming in and stuff and creating. So we're, we'll bring a 
bit of that and hopefully into the different spaces of Dust Temple, which will be really exciting, which would be great. So yeah. it's for the local yeah, musicians cool. as much as for the guys who, you know, Shenzo will sort of pull in and, yeah, fingers really crossed. Please. <laughs> it'll be so good <laughs> just to make music together, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah, it'll be great. The celebration and, coming out of... Isolation. Yes, absolutely. And now because it's a fundraiser, so we've been throwing around ideas. Obviously, motor neurone disease has is has been, um, <clears throat> you know, a core of it and and the inspiration behind it. But then we were looking at, um, at the Fire Sticks Alliance to support that, which is looking at Indigenous and cultural burning practices and things like that. So we've been talking to... Um, an amazing man, Leeton Lee from up at Mount Tambourine, who was trying to establish a southeast Queensland program through Firesticks Alliance to to look at that here and and train youngsters in cultural burning practices. And now, obviously, with musicians, we've got another wonderful fundraising platform for you know <laughs> music and making music and musicians and just drawing awareness to all of that. So hopefully, yeah, yeah. Be, I will craft that. <laughs> I see in July. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yes. You never know. On the other side. Dust Temple's a big space. We'll put everybody in different rooms and we'll, <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll set up speakers so you can still jam together. We haven't quite worked out how to virtually do it. I don't think anyone's worked out a platform where people can virtually do it yet. But I don't I, think it's possible. I'm not sure. Without internet. No, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's not get into it. Let's not. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been so lovely chatting and thank you. getting to know you. Yeah, thank you. Beautiful to get to know you guys oh. better too. Thank you for having me. Would you like to play Pleasure. one more song? I could give it a go. Let's, let's see. Let's I could give yeah. it a go. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure how it'll go, but we could try. And you could always edit it out if it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. yeah. Or you can play something else. <laughs> if there's just silence after this, you'll know it didn't work. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know it didn't work. So my apologies. There will be something that it's either me playing crappy piano or, or not. I don't know. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, awesome. All right. Let's okay. do it. Thank you, Casey. You're welcome. Thank yeah. you for having me. A song from Water Songs, which was a project we did with Bleach Festival in 2019 and uh, a little bit of a comment on our lack of community across our watery canaled landscape. Um, it's called Across the Mirrored Pool. Another exit, different gate We come and go through different 
negative mindfulness not causing harm does it bring you unity sense of general happiness satisfaction with this life with this life that we've been blessed so we build upon the water we build upon the sand we meditate and contemplate all that we had planned i see you on your grass see you around your pool i am witness to your joys your celebrations to your loves witnessing your sorrow by Love Street Studios and has been supported by Gold Coast's Home of the Arts through Hodder's Artist Fund, Rage Against the Virus. Is that a language? No, I'm just making it up. <laughs> so good. It's, just, <laughs> it's fun. That's mainly what I do these days is I make up crap. <laughs>